Yep. I don't know where to start, but we'll start. Start off with prayer. How there you go. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your for your love, your gospel love poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that you have given to us. Father, we admit we don't deserve it. Father, we admit we need to grow in it. But Father, we come before you humbled and excited and encouraged by your grace. Father, help us as we speak your truth to speak only the truth. It's only about you and your word. It's not about us and our thoughts. So we ask, Father, that you would guide us into all truth as we speak, that we would only honor and glorify you, that we would only exalt your Son, that we would only uh, speak the things that the Spirit of God has revealed through your Holy Word, that we might be faithful servants of God. For your honor and glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm about to ask you a question. You got to. Uh-oh. This is going to be fun. Let's get it started. This is Truth Talks. Welcome back, everyone, to the Truth Talks podcast. I'm your host, Buddy Boone. With me today is the pastor of Belcroft Bible Church. His name is Pastor Matt White. How you doing today, sir? Man, I had forgotten what that music sounded like. Yeah. It's I got, been, got a little nostalgic when I heard it come on there. So, you know, it's been that long. It's been a while. Yeah. Uh, the last time we actually recorded was actually March 30th. And so yeah. we skipped a whole month. And in my world, that's like three years. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a COVID year. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, I actually am going to ask you a question, and um, I have I have many things to talk to you about. Uh-oh. But the one question I want to ask you is this: mm-hmm. In light of this one scripture that uh, I've been marinating in Uh-oh. for uh, the past uh, week or so, this is the scripture: It's Hebrews chapter twelve, oh, verse yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight mm. and sin which clings so closely and mm-hmm. let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Mm-hmm. Now, I can keep going because mm-hmm. it's so much so much rich doctrine that's yeah. in there, but I want to focus in the middle of that sentence Yeah, the after the end and sin which clings so closely. Yeah. My question is, I'm scared to ask this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh-oh. How sinful is sin? Uh, far more than you and I can even know. Mm. Yeah, it's worse. It's worse than we can even fully understand. I think the the um, uh, the enormity of the evil of sin is greater than we can even comprehend. Mm. And to prove it, uh, I'll, I'll show you the, the level of this very clearly and concisely. The evil of sin is so evil that God the Father would kill his own son to deal with it. Mm. That's that's crazy. That is a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And so so our problem um, is often tethered to a weak and a weak inaccurate view of sin. Mm. Our view of sin is often core to our uh, struggle with sin mm. because we don't see it as the Bible declares it to be. We don't see it as the evil that it is. We don't see it for the ultimate evil, which is rebellion and attack against God Almighty. That's what sin ultimately is in the end. 
It's a direct frontal assault against the holy God of all the earth. It is, it is a direct attack against his holiness, against his character, his will. And um, yeah, we, we have such a, uh, a culturally driven view of sin, not a biblically, view, a, a biblically driven view of sin. We have a self-centered man uh, man-centered view of sin, not a God-centered view of sin. Mm-hmm. Sin is always and ultimately against God, all sin. Mm-hmm. Even sin we do at the horizontal earthly level against one another, at the end of the day, that is secondary at best. The primary issue is that all of that sin is done towards God. Mm-hmm. Even an attack on on a fellow human being, you know, murder or whatnot, that's an attack on God because of the image of God in man. And obviously God says, thou shalt not murder. And so when you murder somebody, yes, you're taking the life of another human being, but you're ultimately rebelling against God and his will. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of the day, we start, to, we start to just begin to see the evil of all evils, which is sin. Mm-hmm. We start to begin to just see that when we recognize not just what sin is, but more importantly, who's it against. Hmm. We often see it simply at the personal horizontal level, mm-hmm. and that's obviously there. We can sin against one another, and we're commanded to confess that and deal with that. But that's, that's not the issue. At the end of the day, Psalm 51 is clear against you and you alone, David says to God, I have mm-hmm. sinned, even though he sinned against Bathsheba, Uriah, the nation, the whole deal. No, at the end of the day, his evil was ultimately a direct, rebellious, treasonous act against God Almighty. Mm-hmm. And that's why um, sin is described in the Puritan era as the evil of all evils, because mm-hmm. it is. And, and as I started, the Puritans were so good at defining and describing why it's the evil of all evils is because it's it's... It's against God, and and they sh- just as I did, they would show the level at which God went to deal with it heightens the evil of it. Hmm. That He would obviously kill His own Son as the ultimate sacrifice for sin, so that sin would be done away with. Mm-hmm. Like it took that to deal with it. It shows the the level of the heinousness and the wickedness of sin. And uh, yeah, there's a lot more to say about it, but it is, it is awful. It is wicked. It is vile. It is always deceptive in that it promises what it can never bring, mm-hmm. and it hides what it always brings, mm. which is death and destruction, despair. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. And the and the amazing reality, though, on top of all of those descriptions, is that God is sovereign over all of that. Mm. Because God is obviously way more powerful uh, than any sin and all sin. God is sovereign over it all. He's not the author of sin, obviously. The Bible's clear about that. But sin is never outside of his control. Mm-hmm. Sin never runs rogue mm-hmm. like, a, like a coronavirus. Mm. There is no rogue virus. There is no rogue sin. Mm-hmm. Everything is within the sphere of God's sovereignty. Everything. Mm-hmm. And so God doesn't just take something that's rogue, pull it in and say, well, I'm going to make good out of this. That's how most people see it. No, everything is within the sphere of what he's already has planned, which is the ultimate good. That's what Romans 8.28, that's what Ephesians 1.11 declares. 
uh, multiple passages speak about the eternal plan of God cannot be thwarted, Job uh, 42. I mean, not even sin itself. And so when Romans 8.28 says, all things work together Mm -hmm. for the good, for those who love God, who have been called according to his purpose, all things there encompasses all sin. And so, and again, the prime example of this, as it always is, is Christ, right? I mean, he never sinned, but he he was uh, the tip of the spear of the greatest, most evil sin that has ever been committed and will ever be committed was the murder of the perfect, eternal, infinite Son of God. Hmm. There's nothing that can compare to that historically, past, present, or future. And so that most evil, wicked, sinful act, which Acts 2.23 calls it that, the culpable, wicked, evil rulers, and yet, despite all of their <coughs> evil sin, Peter says in his sermon, first sermon preached on Pentecost, says what? They did exactly what God had predetermined, predetermined for them to do. Mm-hmm. So he's sovereign. So if he's sovereign over the most evil, wicked act that ever committed, obviously he's sovereign over everything else that comes lesser, that comes behind it, which the Bible makes clear. So... So as evil as sin is, and it is, as wicked as sin is, and it is, as heinous, as scary, as pitiful, and down the line of descriptions you could go, and it is, yet the hope we have is God Mm -hmm. and his his grace and his sovereign wisdom, power, and love over all of that. Mm -hmm. I think my question about what you just said, you said that our view of sin is a a cultural view yes um psychologized view okay yeah help me understand that yeah so sin sin is is now understood as as in um inanimate force Mm. right that's outside of you Mm -hmm. that almost overtakes you it's almost like you become captive to to quote-unquote sin today, and it's even spoken of almost like third person, mm. like it's its own entity, mm. because our world being uh, driven by the victim complex and driven by irresponsibility and nobody wants to take responsibility. So even when people talk about sin, it's spoken of as if it's something outside of me, mm-hmm. almost like 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 a cultural movement. I just got swept up into it. Mm. You know, I was I was looking at this girl or this girl was looking at a guy in the office and the passion just started flowing and we couldn't stop, you know, and it just, it's almost like it's spoken of in, in like, it's this uncontrollable force. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, and uh, rather than being evil acts that you choose to do that flow out of your own wicked, perverted heart, Mm -hmm. it becomes these almost nebulous things that happen that are spoken with great ambiguity, no specificity, and no responsibility. Mm. And that is the way the modern church and the culture speaks when it uses the term sin, which it almost never uses, but if it's forced to use that. And then instead of using the word, they'll use the word mistake. Mm. They'll use the word, uh, this bad thing I did, you know, mm-hmm. um, this act, you know, but there's no descriptor right? There's no clarity. Mm-hmm. There's no responsibility. Mm. There's no, obviously, there's no rebellion. There's no treason. There's no 
what the Bible makes very clear, transgression, wickedness, vileness. I mean, these are all the terms the Bible uses very clearly to speak about our rebellious lawlessness, breaking God's law, turning. So uh, our culture is very, um, uh, again, our culture is driven by no responsibility. There's no responsibility for anything anymore. You can do whatever you want, but no one's going to hold you responsible. Mm-hmm. That's part of the, the culture we live in, and therefore sin now takes on that connotation where it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, a thing you do, but something you're not held responsible for because it's out of your control. Where the Bible says totally opposite, mm-hmm. right? The Ezekiel eighteen twenty, the soul that sins must die, mm-hmm. because that soul is responsible for the sin that it commits. Mm-hmm. Because as Jesus said, sin doesn't come as an inanimate object from the clouds. Mm-hmm. It doesn't come down upon us. Sin comes from within us. It comes from the inside out, not from the outside in. Mm-hmm. So the culture, because of psychology and and the uh, psychology of the day, cultural psychology and what it believes, man is never the issue, always his environment. Mm. So sin has become almost a byproduct of our evil environment, and therefore it's there's nothing you can really do about it. It's the evil culture we live in, and so a child's going to act this way because that's how he was raised, and rather than know this is who this child is because his heart is depraved, his heart is wicked, just like mine, just like all of us, and so sin, as Jesus made very clearly in Mark 7, comes from inside the heart. All the evil thoughts, all the evil words, all the evil deeds comes from an evil heart. Well, obviously culture doesn't believe that at all. So man is never the problem. That's why pop psychology takes in and says, well, the issue is you need to move. You need to, you need to change this. You need to change uh, the way you're uh, doing this. You need, to, you need a new wife. You need a new child. You need a new job. You need a new pill. Just take another pill. You know, everything's everything is outside the man, something he needs to he needs to adjust rather than something he needs to confess. Mm. Something he needs to take responsibility for. And that's that is that is one of the major issues because why is that so sad? Because that never addresses the issue which is man's ultimate issue. So it would be like I'll give you a I'll give you an analogy and show you how this works. Mm-hmm. So it would be like going to your um uh, your your doctor, and uh, you have cancer, and the doctor's dealing with that, but he doesn't tell you you have cancer. He tells you that what you've got is uh, asthma, right? And your asthma is driven not because your lungs are filled with cancer, right? And your lungs are dying, and, and the, the um, uh, lungs can no longer fill with the capacity of oxygen that you need to to uh, purify your body and deal with uh, work, work on even purifying your blood because that's what happens. Know that he doesn't go into any of that. Mm-hmm. He says you have asthma that's that's uh, introduced because you because you're allergic to pet dander, and so your issue is you've got to either uh, wash your dog more or you've got to get another dog mm-hmm. that's hyper hypoallergenic and you see how this goes right. and so you're 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 fooling around with your dog right mm-hmm. or your carpet you need to t- replace your carpet put hardwood floors in therefore that'll solve your asthma i mean it's like it's like pathetic mm. that's what psychology in the modern culture tries to deal with sin it's mm. like it's not even on the same plane it's mm-hmm. like they're talking about dogs and hardwood floors and it's my heart that's the problem. Mm. It's like they're not even they're not even dealing with anatomy. Mm-hmm. They're dealing with construction, right? Yeah. That's so far removed. Mm-hmm. And so when that's the issue, 
there's no help. There'll never be help. You'll, your cancer will what? It will eventually eat you from the inside out and you will die unless you get it out. That's sin. Sin is cancer. It's spiritual cancer. It's in the inside. And unless we get a new heart, it will literally eat us alive. Physically, we'll die. But that's not even the worst part. Spiritually, we will be separated from God forever in hell because that's what every sinner deserves because we've rebelled against God and rejected his way. Mm. Yeah, that is a... (laughs) That is a, a tough way to look at, at sin, and uh, I think that— That's the way the Bible looks at it. Well, I was talking about the cultural. Oh, it's the awful. The cultural, yeah. yeah. That's a, a horrible way to look at it, and go ahead. Well, because they, they, they will never put the blame on man, so everything has to be external. Everything has to be separate from—like, it's never your fault, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. E- even, even the murderer who goes to jail for some— you know, vile crime at the end of the day, you know, they're going to give him a syndrome. They're going to give him a label. Mm -hmm. They're going to give him a reason that's not him. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, he was raised this way. Well, he was this, like, that's the way it works. It's everywhere. Mm -hmm. Even the pedophile, the wicked person. Well, you know, he was abused. Mm -hmm. You know, you see how this works. Yeah. It's like, well, that very well could be true. But at the end of the day, he chose to do what he, what he wanted to do. Right. Because his heart is wicked. Mm -hmm. He's evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the and I got this a lot, you know, from uh, the, the the guys I grew up with. You know, it's, it's a just a bad neighborhood that you were raised in. His, his dad went away. You know, you don't. He didn't really have a, a chance. Yep. You know, because of his environment. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. And obviously, we understand that external factors uh, uh, affect. Right. We understand that. We understand we're not denying the effect of the external factors, but the effect of those external factors only serve to heighten the effect of the internal factor. Yeah. The internal factor is the issue. The mm-hmm. external factors just o- open the door to let out what's already in there mm-hmm. and see you see the difference. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's that's but that's the way the world is, because they don't want to admit that man is inherently flawed. Mm-hmm. Man is inherently broken. Man is inherently wicked. Mm-hmm. They don't want to admit that because the minute they admit that, they're looking in the mirror. Yeah, yeah, and they're and they and they're forced to see themselves. Not only yes, amen, see themselves, but even worse, they see that they can't fix it. Mm. There's yeah. no answer. Mm-hmm. The minute they do that, they have to admit that man is not the measure of all things. Yeah. Man is not the answer for all things. Man, we are hopeless. Unless someone from the outside mm-hmm. comes and fixes us, we're done because we can't fix this. Mm-hmm. And obviously, that's where no one wants to go because then that's admitting we need, we need Christ. Yeah. And obviously, the unregenerate heart will never do that until... Sovereign grace comes. Mm-hmm. The scripture, uh, as you were talking, the scripture, um, uh, is it lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles? Is, yes, am Hebrews, I, Hebrews. Hebrews. Yeah, yeah. The one you just read, Hebrews 12. That's a different, because it says, uh, which clings so closely. Yeah. So I must be thinking of another Different version. translation. Okay. Just, just a different translation, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. And it's. It's funny because like that entanglement, I think of, you know, like, you know, just just getting. But that that version, now that you said what you just said, that kind of like, oh, it was the sin's fault. 
you know, yeah. uh, the sin entangled me. Yeah. Uh, it could be, you know, interpreted that way. I, I really like the way that this, yeah. uh, you know, the, the ESV uh, or the, uh, the elect standard version says it is, you know, the sin which clings so closely. Yeah. And it, yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. And it's a, it's an analogy of a runner, right? That's the whole right. context there that he's using of a race and how the runner purifies and empties himself mm-hmm. and, and, and runs with no impediments, right? And so he's calling on them to get rid of all of these extra weights, which is what a runner does, right? Mm-hmm. He takes down to nothing, and that day would wear nothing, mm-hmm. right? And he's, he's got the bare bones of whatever he needs to run, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And so get rid of the weights that hold us back and get rid of the sin that's holding us back, mm-hmm. that's clinging to us. We know what that is, mm-hmm. the pet sins, the sins that continue to hound us and cut it off, right? Mm-hmm. And even in the analogy, it's interesting of the of the other translations that talk about, you know, the weights and the sins, you know, and we know what that is, the material, you know, uh, distractions that we deal with, mm-hmm. the weights in this life that aren't necessarily sinful, but we allow them to become idolatrous and distracting, our jobs, our fears, all these things become dead weights that hold us back from pursuing Christ. And then ultimately the sin that clings so closely. And, and, and there's a number of analogies of this throughout Hebrews and, and uh, the sin of unbelief, the sin of fear, right? And that's what they were dealing with, obviously, in that context, because they were afraid of dealing with the persecution that was happening to them because uh, uh, of worshiping Christ and not worshiping uh, as, a, as, a, as a Jew, i.e. with the Judaizers. And so they were being persecuted, and that's why many were turning back to Judaism because they didn't want to be persecuted. And obviously, uh, there's the, all the warning passages in Hebrews comes out of that, mm. and they were turning away, turning away, and then obviously demonstrating a heart of unbelief and yeah, being becoming deceived and all of that. And so Hebrews has a lot to say about that. Yeah. And so the call here is don't don't do that. Mm-hmm. Get rid of that. Mm-hmm. Well. <clears throat> I do want to keep going because I, this, like I said, this is what I've been kind of just, just marinating in for the last uh, week or so. Yep. And uh, the, the hope that I got from verse two was amazing. And then let me, let me start from the beginning. 12, one, therefore Hebrews 12, one since, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight Mm. and sin which closely which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us mm. uh looking to Jesus uh and let me back up let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus mm. the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Mm-hmm. And let me kind of give you, you know, my, I'm not like trying to reinterpret it, but you know, the, the thoughts that I have when I looked at the shame, you know, d- you know, enduring the cross, despising the shame, it was the shame of sin, correct? Or the shame of the cross. Yeah, the shame of the cross. Okay. Right? Because that was part of that's part of what it means to carry a cross is to carry a cross of shame, cross of death. Mm-hmm. So in, in that context, 
that was the whole point. You were being publicly humiliated, mm-hmm. right? And so he was shamed, the the holy, humble, perfect, omnipotent son of God was mm-hmm. was shamed. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, he was, he would have been naked hanging on the cross. Mm-hmm. Right. And he would have, he would have been carrying that cross. And in that culture, it was a sign of subjugation. Mm-hmm. Right. So think about it. The sovereign mm-hmm. who is the king of all glory was shamed to the point of showing himself subjugated as a slave, as a, as a, as a criminal under Roman rule. Mm-hmm. That's what that was. So to carry your cross as they would have done would have been to be shamed would have been a, a walk to the to the to the crucifixion hill was a shameful walk of showing everybody i'm a criminal i deserve this and and i'm under roman rule like they're 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 controlling me i mean i have no freedom i have nothing i mean it's just complete humiliation mm. and that's what carrying the cross ultimately is a s- signal for the believer where it's just like yeah i'm carrying the cross where i am under christ i'm following him now it's not a cross of shame for us; it's a cross of glory, mm-hmm. right? But yet it carries with it an understanding of shame, an understanding of of subjugation in all the right ways. But for Christ, in uh, in His cross, and it was a shame of of dealing and bearing sin, a shame of bearing uh, judgment that obviously He didn't deserve because right. He didn't do anything. And right. so, yeah, that was part of the system. And he despised it, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. He despising the shame, right? Meaning he didn't, he didn't quit, he didn't stop, mm-hmm. right? He hand, he took the shame, mm-hmm. even though he didn't deserve the shame, mm-hmm. right? He he wasn't an evildoer, but yet he was crucified as one, mm-hmm. right? He never did anything wrong, and yet he bore the sin of the world, mm-hmm. right? And so you could see, you know, the mockery, and obviously that's all he was mocked the whole time. Mm-hmm. You're the son of God. Why don't you, you know, call on God to? to save yourself, you know, and save us too, you know, and just mocking, mocking, mocking shame. Yeah. You know, everybody ridiculing, everybody mocking him, turning their face away from him. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And yet he bore it. Yeah. And that's why Isaiah 53 says he bore our shame, mm. right? That's our shame. Mm-hmm. It should have been us. Mm-hmm. And yet, um, but, you know, go ahead. Well, go all the way back to the beginning though, which is interesting, right? Therefore, as you always say, What's the therefore, therefore? There you go. So this passage is tethered to what? Uh, the previous chapters. Which is all about what? Great question. <laughs> there you go. I all, did read. I did. I went all back All about to, the great cloud well, of witnesses. Well, yeah, the faith, the faith hall of faith is what is right before that. Yes. So yeah. yeah, I did read, you know, a little bit of that. And because, that's what he's talking about, right? Okay. So he's talking about, he's just went through a diatribe of... 40 verses where he's talking about faith and illustrating it through the faithfulness of all these people from the Old Testament forward. And the ultimate example at the end is Christ, right? Right. He, he is, right? He is the better. Better is used 11 times, right? Where he just keeps saying, God has provided something better for us that apart from us, this they should not be made perfect, right? He's talking about Christ is better, Christ is better, Christ is better. He's 11 times in this passage, better is used because that's a key, that's a key truth, a key phrase throughout the whole book of Hebrews. Mm. Christ is the better. Right. He's the better priest. He's the better covenant. He's the, he's the better sacrifice. You know, he's the better example. He's the, he's the better, best, everything. That's mm-hmm. That's what the book is is highlighting over and over again. So you have this great cloud of witnesses who have gone before, who through 
true faith, right, trusted God amidst their suffering, right? Mm-hmm. Again, Hebrews are dealing they're dealing with suffering. That's what the whole book is really about, persecution. And so he's showing all these people who persevered, or as the word says here, endured, right? Mm-hmm. They endured it, and they endured what? Shame. They en- en- endured difficulty. Moses, Elijah, all the way down. Noah, right? He started 120 years mocked and ridiculed, and he just continues. And so he's showing all these examples. And then ultimately, he, he references Christ, which is what he's doing now. He's the ultimate sacrifice. So he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, test people who are testifying that God is worthy, right, of our faith to trust him. And notice, if you go back up in, in chapter 11, they trusted him, and yet they didn't receive right. what was promised to them. Right, they didn't receive but we have. Mm-hmm. This is the better they didn't get it. They had they they hoped mm-hmm. based upon what they were told, but they never received it. Mm-hmm. Not not yet, right? They will receive it, and obviously they have received it in Christ. But for us, ours is different. We're not looking forward like they did. Mm-hmm. We're looking backward. Mm-hmm. It's already been given to us. Mm-hmm. Christ has already borne the shame. He's already endured the cross. Mm-hmm. He's now sitting at the right hand. The promise is there. It's a promise of not yet to come. It's a promise that's already that's already come, mm-hmm. one that's came, i.e., in the, in our redemption. And so, therefore, since we have this great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Obviously, they were doing the same thing, right? And also, he, yeah. he's showing that, right? Mm-hmm. That that Moses wanted a wanted a city whose whose builder was the Lord, and he wouldn't deal with the. Uh, the sins of Egypt for a season, but he put them aside. So same, you're, you're watching that take place in chapter 11. And then he says, and let us, note of the let us, let us deal with our sin, let us run for, with example, these are all commands, and let us run with endurance. That comes up multiple times, this reality of perseverance, mm-hmm. perseverance of the saints. That's in so many levels, you know, that's what he's calling them to don't quit because what is the problem they were quitting many were quitting and proving to be obviously false believers and so he's warning them don't quit endure just like they saw so many of those witnesses before in chapter 11 but ultimately christ he never quit Mm -hmm. he endured right and so let us endure right how by looking unto jesus Mm. he's the better he's the ultimate He's the one. He's the forerunner. That's what he means now when he says the founder and perfecter of our faith. Mm-hmm. He's the forerunner. He's the one that goes ahead. Mm-hmm. He's the, here's the, in the West Virginia term, he's the trailblazer. Mm-hmm. He cuts the path mm-hmm. right through the brush. Mm-hmm. That's what Christ has done. He has gone before dealing with sin. He has laid out the trail. He is the founder of the faithful. He is the perfecter of the faithful, and he is ultimately the trailblazer. He goes before, he endures the cross, he scorns the shame, and now he calls us to follow him. Follow the trail, carry the cross, deal with the shame, and look unto him, because where is he? Notice, notice how he did it. Who for the joy that was set before him, notice how he he endures, by keeping his eyes and his heart and his life focused where? On what was happening to him? No. Notice, the joy set before him. What joy? What joy is set before him in carrying a cross and being crucified and mocked and ridiculed? What, what, what's the text talking about? Notice, 
looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the joy of what? The joy of sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, Mm -hmm. the joy of being glorified, the joy of everything that he prayed for in John 17. Mm -hmm. So he goes to the cross. Before that, John 17, he's praying, what? Father, glorify me. Father, bring me back home. Father, I'm ready to come home. That's the joy. He's looking at being glorified back with the Father, back in, in heaven, accomplishing the mission. He focuses on the end, not on the present. His focus is on glory, future glory. He's keeping his eyes above, as Colossians 3 says. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Mm -hmm. So he accomplishes his mission on earth. He goes through the scorn, the shame, the scoffing rude. He goes through it, not by focusing on it, but by focusing on heaven. And that's that's what he does. So for the joy of glorifying the Father, the joy of being glorified by the Father, the joy of accomplishing the mission for the Father and redeeming those whom the Father had given to him, all of that declared so clearly in John 17, he says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Mm. Notice, run with endurance. Mm -hmm. See it? Mm -hmm. So we're called to run with endurance, and what did he do? Endured the cross. Mm. Follow him who endured, Mm. and you now endure. Mm -hmm. Right? So he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's good. Now he goes on. Look, verse three. Mm-hmm. Consider him who, there's a word again, endured mm-hmm. from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. Mm. Again, he's your example. He's your encouragement. Don't quit. Keep looking unto him. He's finished the task. He's there at the finish line. He's, tr- he's blazed the trail. Follow him. Keep your eyes on him and not on yourself. It's it's a glorious passage. It is. It is. I've just been marinating and reading it over and over again. And uh, obviously, you uh, <laughs> bought some stuff out that I didn't see. Uh, That's my job. I might have seen it on the 12th, 12th round. But well, you, you, yeah, eventually, I'd say. But I just I just I just uh, spiced up the brine a little bit yeah, in your yeah. marination. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's what we do. Add a little bit of uh, paprika. Yeah. Yeah. But the. Um, I love the passage. Um, I do too. The number and and verse seven. It is for discipline that you have to endure. Yep. You know, it's it's, it's just certain things that just pop out at me. You yep. know, as I'm, you know, reading it over and over again. And then verse twelve. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Yep. You know, that's it. Sounds that yeah, he he references Psalm. Uh, the Psalms in uh, verse five. Yep. Um, and I knew it was Psalm before I even looked up the cross reference because it starts off with my son do mm-hmm. not regard. And I was like, Oh, that sounds like a Psalm, but then therefore lift up your drooping hands. That sounds like an old Testament type of, you know, uh reference where it's like, Hey, you know, you know, look up. I think know. it's Proverbs, Proverbs three, you know, uh, let's see. Let me see. I'm turning there. Uh, are you talking about verse five or yeah, yeah. it's um yeah, three, two, three, eleven and twelve. Let's see. Yeah, my son do not despise. Yep, yep, mm-hmm. that's it. Yep. Yeah. No, it's 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 obviously glorious, and that's what they needed to be provoked <clears throat> because they were turning away from the Lord and the Lord was disciplining them and and obviously that's what he's reminding them about, unless they prove to be unbelievers. Warning. Mm-hmm. Warning seriously. Yeah. 
but uh, this is this has been a, a a big encouragement for me. This whole uh, section, uh, so we could talk about it a whole lot more. Yes. Um, you wanna you wanna finish that section off? You have something else you wanna add to that? Or no? I mean, just the reality of how of how important the Lord's discipline of us is when we uh, sin and and that what a grace it is that the Lord will not let us go, right? Yeah. Those of us who are true believers, that's the point he makes. If if you are a true believer, you will be uh, chastised, you will be disciplined by the Lord, and a lack of discipline is proof. Verse, uh, verse 8, if you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are an illegitimate children and not sons. Yeah, I mean scary right and uh obviously you know true believers will be disciplined as he goes on to say like a father a good earthly father disciplines his children when they stray to protect them and to and to help purify them which he goes on and he says so clearly right um uh, verse 10 for they that's the fathers disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them but he that is god the father disciplines us for our good now watch this that we may share in his holiness. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Like, so when he's disciplining us, it's a, it's a discipline unto godliness, mm-hmm. right? He's, again, he's got an ultimate plan. The plan he created us for, the plan he redeemed us for is the same plan he disciplines us for. It never changes. Mm-hmm. Everything he does is for our own perfection, mm-hmm. purification, right? So he's, He's disciplining us in those moments so that he, in so doing, gets rid of all that's not of Christ, mm-hmm. i.e. back to what he said in the beginning, the weight and the sins that mm-hmm. cling so closely. Yeah. Part of that discipline is purging that out of us. Mm-hmm. That's what this life to the celestial city is all about, mm-hmm. is the Lord perfecting us and purging us. And that perfecting and purging is both positive and negative positive in our pursuit of holiness and our growth in godliness sometimes it's negative in god's chastisement and discipline of us which also does the same thing grows us and matures us and helps us to hate sin even more and turn from it and that's all god's love where'd you get that from i think you got it from verse 11 for the moment all discipline seems painful there you go rather than pleasant yep but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it there you go yeah so it's it's yeah it so it is negative it it doesn't feel good mm-hmm. it's not nice but man it is glorious and it always works because yeah. God is obviously sovereign mm-hmm. and His plan will not be thwarted plan for what plan to perfect all of His precious children mm-hmm. that's the reason He saved us that's the reason He equipped us that's the reason we have the Word the Church one another all these things and that's the reason He goes after us and He won't stop. He won't stop until he brings his children home. And he will bring us, as the Bible says so many times, Jude and Titus and Colossians, he will bring us home. Thessalonians, blameless and above reproach. Mm. But getting to that point is not easy. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, and that's why he goes on and says what? Uh, strive, verse 14, strive mm-hmm. for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Mm. Man great passage it's yeah it's a great book yeah i'm uh i'm loving it so far and uh keep yeah, marinating yeah i'm, gonna, I'm gonna keep marinating in it because it's uh 
it's rich. And I think that every single time I read it, you know, I get exp- you know, it's explained to me. It's like, oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, you know, it's I love it. It's just over and over again. And the key, uh, and and something to to not forget in this, as you marinate and think about it, even practically, and the implications for us. Notice how many times that word endure, mm-hmm. endure. Christ endured. We are called to endure, endure, endure. And it's all about perseverance. It's all about not quitting. Mm-hmm. Because again, why? Because the context, the Hebrews are quitting. They're turning away. Mm-hmm. And so he's, he's provoking them. He's exhorting them. He's, he's motivating them. He's warning them. Do not quit. Endure, endure, even endure the discipline, mm-hmm. right? And so, and that comes in all kinds of, of ways, oftentimes through suffering and trials and oftentimes through humiliation and whatever. And it's like, don't turn away. Don't stop. Keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. Well, uh, you want to go to the next? You, you, you got more to add to that? No, I'm following you. Okay. Where are you taking us next? Well, um, one of the the things that I am um, <clears throat> I, I want to go back to this uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, this was Easter, actually. The seventeenth. Uh, it's been so long. Good grief! I got so many questions. Um, Watch out. One of the things that you. Um, You were talking about the the road to Emmaus, you know, the, yep. the gentleman on the road to Emmaus. Yep. Christ just kind of having that conversation with them on that road. And you said that they, you know, that Jesus just kind of went through the Old Testament yep. and showed, you know, revealed to them things. And I'm, I'm guessing, and this is, you know, just correct me if I'm wrong, that who were the guys he was talking to again? Uh, Jesus we, was. Yeah, we don't know. Okay, you don't yeah. know who the guys were. We have some. We have some speculations. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But we would imagine that they were Jews. Oh yeah, for and sure. They for were sure. taught the for Old sure. Testament. Yeah, I mean, they were right. part of. They were part of the hundred and twenty believers. Right, right. right. Okay, you know, for sure. And yep. What do you think? One of them is named Cleopas. Right. We know that. Mm-hmm. But again, it's we we have all kinds of conjecture on who these people. Some people think it might have been a husband and wife. Some people think mm-hmm. two men. You know, there's all, there's there's reasons to think one or the other, but at the end of the day, we don't know exactly who they were. We know who they were a part of, right? Right, and that we do know. Now, hypothetical situation, obviously. What do you think that Jesus was actually showing them from the Old Testament, and showing how he was the fulfillment of that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, we we can't be exactly. Um, right, not exact, but yeah, I mean, oh, because the Bible doesn't show us exact. Right. However, however, that being the case, we have so many. I mean, he he has so many places he can mm-hmm. take them from Genesis all the way through, because mm-hmm. it all points to him in in some form or fashion. Eventually, mm-hmm. not every passage, not every verse, not at all. Right, that would be twisting to say it mildly. However, right, every book. And, and and so much within each book all points to him. It's all about that. It's all leading up to that. He is the fulcrum point of faith, right? It's, he's the point at which it all moves. Mm-hmm. It all points to him and it points away from him, i.e. He's the, he's the point at which it was all moving and he's the point at which it's all going 
going out, meaning his mission, right? It all comes one, one way. It either goes towards him or it comes from him, i.e. in his mission to glorify the Father through the Great Commission. So, yeah, it, it, if you go all the way back to Genesis, obviously Genesis 3, when he talks about the seed of the woman who's going to mm-hmm. crush the head of the serpent, mm-hmm. obviously that's the logical place to start, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, I'm that seed, right? I'm that, I'm that guy. And then he just, I mean, he can literally just walk through Isaac, the sacrificial son, right? Who, mm-hmm. who uh, was carried the wood up the mountain, mm. right? I mean, I mean, man, I didn't think about that. Oh, he carries oh, the man, wood. They went out. Yeah, yeah, they went out, and and obviously that Mount Moriah becomes right. Jerusalem. Mm. Think about it. Like, I mean, that's Jerusalem, and mm-hmm. and when when Abraham says because God provided so that Isaac wasn't slayed, he provided a substitute, mm. the ram. Christ is the ram in the bush. Mm-hmm. He's the one who comes. We're all Isaac to. We deserve to be under God's judgment, not worth, not bush. yeah, not worth, not worthy to be the sacrifice, but worthy to be judged, right? Right? Not not a sacrifice pleasing to the Lord, but a, a sacrifice in the sense of our uh, of being judged. And yet God provides a sacrifice, mm-hmm. right? He provides the ram stuck in the thorn bush. Yes, right. He's that's what I was asking. He's I was twi- like, that's that's crazy. The, the thorn. Like, that's the connection as well. Yeah, well, I mean, there's all kinds of things. I don't want to twist Scripture and become, right. become you know, allegorical. But, again, the ram, yeah, Christ is the ultimate sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And, and, obviously, he is the greater Isaac because he doesn't come off the altar. He lays on the altar and dies. Mm-hmm. And Isaiah 53, God the Father thrusts the knife into the neck of God the Son, as it says so clearly, where it pleased the Father to crush the Son to kill him, right? I mean, so... Yeah, I mean, you can go to uh, uh, Joseph, right? Where Christ is a type of Joseph and all that he mm-hmm. did there, right? And um, you see that. And I mean, you can go to uh, Exodus 18, where the prophet that would come, that Moses spoke of, the prophet that the people would listen to, the one that would ultimately uh, bring forth the truth. I mean, that's Christ. He is the ultimate prophet, right? Mm-hmm. That Isaiah spoke of. And, you know, you can go to Psalm 2, and David speaks of, of the Son of God. And uh, the Son of God ruling and the nations raging against the Son. Why do the nations rage against him? Why, do they, why are they going after him? God the Father laughs at the, at the nations, mm-hmm. and he holds them in derision, right? And it's literally, I mean, that's, Peter quotes that, mm-hmm. right, in Acts, because that's exactly what happens. They're raging. All the rulers raged against him and killed him, and God the Father's just like, yeah, you're, filling, you're fulfilling my plan, mm-hmm. you know? It's exactly... It's like how many places do you do you want to turn to, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Psalm, uh, let's see, Psalm, 22. yeah, Psalm twenty-two, where he is the sovereign king. Psalm twenty-three, he is mm-hmm. the suffering king. Psalm twenty-four, he is the servant king. I mean that uh, that trilogy lines out beautifully, mm-hmm. and he fulfills all of that. And uh, um, obviously, so, uh, um, Psalm twenty uh, twenty-two, yeah, where it speaks of. The reality of of the suffering king, where his crucifixion mm-hmm. is described in graphic form, right before it was ever even invented, right? It's just like, and obviously, it's all sp- speaking of Christ and his mm-hmm. crucifixion, you know. And then, uh, yeah, you can go to Isaiah fifty three. Obviously, the the you know, if he went to a passage and and exposited, which I think he probably did, he probably went to Isaiah fifty three and said, mm-hmm. "Guys, look, this, this this is what just happened. Mm-hmm. This is what just happened. Let me show you and." 
I mean, that passage literally, I mean, walk right through it. Mm-hmm. That's Christ. Could have went to Daniel 7 and said, look, I'm the, I'm the son of man mm-hmm. that Daniel prophesied. I mean, literally every book of the Bible, every prophet, every book in some form. He could have went to Ruth and said, did you see how God, mm-hmm. how God protected the line, mm-hmm. right? That's the line I come from. I'm, I'm from the line of David. There, there you see, you know, I mean, it's just, it's like pick a book. Mm. Yeah, he could have went anywhere because mm. in that book, somewhere, somehow, you're going to see this tracing of the line of Christ, the promise of Christ, the plan of Christ, or a typology of the picture of Christ, all the sacrifices, every one of them, the, the burnt offering, the grain offering, the, the incense offering, the, um, the thanksgiving offering, they all, every offering points to Christ, every one of them. Mm. You know, he could have went to the Day of Atonement and and the uh, um, obviously the the Lamb that's slain, but also the scapegoat that's driven out of the mm. that's driven out of yeah. out of the out of the camp. Yeah. And Christ was sacrificed; he was killed outside of Jerusalem, right? As mm-hmm. like the scapegoat. I mean, again, it's I mean, it, he could have went anywhere. Yeah, it's glorious. Yeah, and that's why it's my favorite resurrection story because yeah. it's like I, I love it. I, I love. But I love how Christ, what gets me about this story every time, and there's so much, there's so much in it, and you opened the door, so here we go. On purpose. But, but, but <laughs> what I love about this, probably more than anything, is how Christ hides himself sovereignly from them. Like, he won't let them see who he is. You know, he's, he's like in the shadows, so to speak. That's the way I envision it, right? I mean, he could have done it without even making himself a shadow. He could have just you know, clouded their eyes from seeing or their brains from understanding who, you know, he's sovereign. But I always envision it, you know, like watching a movie and the guy's got the hood up and you can kind of, you can't, you can't really make out his facial features, but you can hear them. You know, that's kind of what I envision. They're walking along and he's got his hood up and they're talking and Hey, what are you guys talking about? And they're, they're kind of figuring out like, who is this guy? But they're so engrossed into what's going on. They're not even thinking about, they can't Mm -hmm. see him. And then he starts talking back and, and it's like, uh, I love it because he does that purposefully. He purposely, which the text makes so clear, he purposely, sovereignly, it's a, it's a, a divine passive where it says they were withheld from seeing him. They were kept from seeing him by God. And that's purposeful because, here's why I believe this so emphatically, that God, what God was doing was he was driving them back to the scriptures. Mm. He didn't want them to know it was him before they recognize the clarity and the sufficiency of the scriptures all along, that the scriptures had been teaching this, the scriptures had been showing this, and they needed to trust in the scriptures, right? They needed to go back to the scriptures. If they would have only trusted the scriptures, they wouldn't have been in their dysfunctional state of discouragement and despondency, and they're quitting, and they're, they're going back to their, to their own town and all these things, and Christ is like, look, isn't this what the Scripture says? Didn't the Scriptures have to be fulfilled? I mean, that's literally what he says, and then he walks them through what? The Scriptures, and he's showing them that, look, guys, just follow the Scriptures, and when they get to the point, when they see it in the Scriptures, that's when he reveals himself right. to them. Mm-hmm. Right, just to further substantiate mm-hmm. that it what the scripture said is true, because why is that so vital? Because what will they cling to then the rest of their life? Because Christ is leaving mm-hmm. the scriptures; mm-hmm. they'll trust the scriptures and what what God the Father has given through God the Son, 
by the work of God the Spirit. And so I love that about that passage in that it's, uh, it truly is a word-centered resurrection, that it, it, Christ wanted them to see the word, to know the word, to hear the word, so that they could trust the word even after he's gone. I love that. And yeah. so his resurrection then becomes a further validation and vindication of the word. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's good. And I'm thinking about how, you know, they probably were so, not necessarily them, but they were just caught up on the miracles and caught up on seeing Jesus with their own eyes. Yeah, they were. They weren't really focusing on the scripture that had already been fulfilled. They were doing exactly what we do. They were allowing their emotions and their fears and their confusion to control them, not the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And so what Jesus does is, guys, stop. Go back to the scriptures. What do the scriptures say? Follow the scriptures. It's all about me. I'll show it to you. I'll prove it to you. Now trust them and watch how clear things come. Mm -hmm. And then when they start to see it, he does what? I just envision he takes the hood pulls it back mm-hmm. and as he or, or as the text says right he breaks the bread i love that right and i envision as he's breaking the bread and he's hold and he hands it out to them or he holds his hands up because they would that was a very common posture in prayer mm-hmm. they would hold their hands up and his sleeves drop down and there's the holes in his wrists you know mm-hmm. or his hands of bread and there's the wrist and they're just like right <laughs> this is the resurrected christ yeshua in front of me yeah yeshua gone mm-hmm just like, whoa. Mm-hmm. And you can tell they get it, right? Because immediately, I love it, right? So if you think I'm making this up, I got chills just talking to you about it. See how you do this to me, man? But look, I love it. Um, look, this is the point. This is the point. Verse 32. And they said to what, each other, this, this is Luke 24, where, okay. you, where you took us, man. Come on. <laughs> Luke 24 they, you know, he broke the bread, he gave it to them, and their eyes were opened again, divine passive, meaning their eyes were opened by God, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And so what would be their next response shows what the whole focus is on. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us yeah. while he talked to us on the road about what? While he opened to us the scriptures. Mm. That's the point. That's what he was doing, opening up to them the scriptures that all pointed to him so that they would see and trust and rest upon the scriptures that all obviously point them to rest upon Christ. I don't think they were hungry after that. No. (laughs) No, it says they got up that very moment and ran Mm -hmm. back to Jerusalem. Yep. The place they had left, now they're going back to because everything has changed. Mm. Man. The resurrection changes everything. Mm Mm-hmm. Everything. Definitely. We'll be we'll be talking about it uh, Sunday. Okay. Because in Mark, it's all about the resurrection. Because mm-hmm. it's the attack brought about by the Sadducees who don't believe the resurrection. Yeah. So they try to trick Jesus into a into a theological conundrum about you know what will the resurrection be like for a guy who has seven wives, each one died, and mm-hmm. they're trying to you know show yeah the resurrection's a joke. See, it doesn't work out. I read, I read a little bit ahead. I, I, and, I, yeah. and, and you know what Jesus said? You don't know the scriptures. <laughs> right back to the scriptures. Yep. He's like, you don't know the scriptures. If you knew the scriptures, you know, just you, you don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, th- I think that the the my favorite part about Sunday, um, when it was like <laughs> the, the the very last the very last sentence, and they were astonished or whatever yes, it was. Yes. You know, they were they were just shocked. They were they amazed. Were yeah, yeah, they were amazed. They were yeah. speechless. And it was like. 
yeah, like, what did you expect? You expected to to get some some type of stupid answer from from the son of God, but yep. oh, they marveled at him. That yeah. that was, I was like, that that is great, and they marveled at him. I'm like, okay, yeah, because they thought they had him trapped. Yeah, and he trapped them. Yep, and they just it's like they look around and go, wait a minute, how did how did that just happen? How did he do that? Mm-hmm. Right, like a like a like some sort of magician. Yeah, sleight like, of hand. Like how did he? What? Yeah. Like he didn't yeah. he didn't make the coin disappear out nope. of his hand. He nope. just said, "Look, here it is." Bread under Caesar's, what is Caesar's? I thought you were going to though. I did think that you were going to talk about, but as I think about it, as I'm as I'm saying it out loud now, it's it probably didn't call for that because <clears throat> in the uh, whose likeness and I under 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 I underlined likeness. Yeah, I thought you were going to talk about us being in the likeness. I did. You have to go back and listen to it. Yeah, I I, I guess the I image didn't of get God. It. Yeah, the image of God. That's, I thought you would take a little longer. Yeah, I spent you know whatever the last minutes were on that. Yeah, yeah. it was it was. I guess that I, I was expecting a little bit more from yeah. That, you know, well, but, I think we ran out of time. Yeah, you you ran out of time. But yeah, no, I mean that was that was the whole application point, was that we were made in the likeness of God, made in the image of God, and that's the image that God stamp of approval. Yeah, I was. Yeah, it was good. You mentioned an Ecclesiastes scripture. I don't know yep, what that Ecclesiastes was. Ecclesiastes eight. Uh, that was. I think eight eleven, if I remember correctly. Mm. Um, as we are coming to a close here, Ecclesiastes eight. You said. Yeah, I think so. Well, let me get get through Proverbs here. I think it was, if I remember correctly. Uh, yes. All right. Because the, uh, <coughs> excuse me, because the. Trying to remember which one it was. Which one did I mention it on? I thought it was that one. It was the, um, well, the last point that you were make, well, the last point that you made was clarifies their obligation. So you were talking about the. Wise clarification clarifies their nature, clarifies their plans, and clarifies their obligation. And the image stands for ownership. Mm-hmm. You explain what render is, giving out of obligation to debt owed. Uh, you owe it to Caesar is what I wrote. You owe it to Caesar. Don't steal from Caesar. Says stop. And I wrote down, stop stealing from Caesar. Stop stealing from God. You mentioned 1 Corinthians 5.17. You mentioned Romans 13. You uh, mentioned 1 Peter 2. And then there was an Ecclesiastes scripture that I missed. Thought I'm trying to remember which one that would have been. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, I mentioned I mentioned um, Ecclesiastes eight eleven at one point about the fact that I was talking about government. I was talking about yep. government, yep. right? And I was talking about how government's designed by God is to bring uh, uh, punitive justice upon uh upon society for protection so government is designed to protect right and preserve and all of that and part of that is is through uh uh justice in the sense of upholding the laws and bringing about swift justice mm-hmm. right and what happens when justice isn't done swiftly it people don't trust that the laws matter police officer that doesn't pull you over then people aren't going to 
yeah, obey the speed care. limit, right? Yeah. That's the point. And it, that's what Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, right? Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of men is fully set to do evil. Mm. And that's what I was talking about, how our government has gone uh, so awry because it no longer fulfills the design that God has called it to, to protect and preserve humanity through just laws and therefore people just run wicked, right? They're not afraid. They're not concerned. They don't obey because they know there's not going to be any sentence, right? Yeah. So people go into stores and they steal and they, <laughs> they, they, they might get arrested right and out. then they turn around and walk right out of yeah. the jail cell, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's what Ecclesiastes says so clearly. And um, yeah. Well, I, I want to end... I want to end the podcast with reading verse 12 because I think this is extremely encouraging. Yeah. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. And I think that this ties into what we were talking about before. Totally. Fearing God, enduring the race, you know, yep. Yep. and, uh, you know, looking to Jesus and scripture uh, as we are, you know, in this last and final days, which, um, you know, you can go ahead and speed through to uh, uh, Mark 13. So we can talk about this. It's August. August. Yep. It's on the calendar. Oh, that's, yeah, you got, yeah, we got to. Uh, we got a we got a fun summer uh, coming up here, so we do. Yeah, so yep. Also for the for the podcast, I have a few uh, uh, guests that you know you you know some of them. There you go. You you'll you know the the the, the folks listening will be highly encouraged by uh, the folks I have coming on here. So praise the Lord. Yes, yeah, so it'll all be a surprise for you. So thank you all for listening. And now here is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The biblical gospel starts with God. Out of nothing, God made everything, including you and me, to bring himself much pleasure. His purpose for us as humanity was to love, obey, and enjoy him perfectly. Instead of this, man has sinned against our loving creator and acted in rebellion. Since God is good and just, he must punish sin that deserves eternal, conscious punishment under God's wrath and hell. But God, being merciful, loving, and gracious, had a plan to punish sin, and so be a just judge, and yet forgive sinners, and so display mercy, by sending his own Son, Jesus Christ, the co-equal and co-eternal Son of God, to take on human flesh, fulfilling his perfect requirements in the place of sinners, loving, obeying, and enjoying him perfectly. Furthermore, Jesus bore the full wrath of God upon the cross, and he satisfied the eternal anger of God, standing in a place of sinners, though he was himself perfectly sinless. God showed his acceptance of Christ's sacrifice by raising Jesus from the dead after three days in the grave. Now Jesus commands everyone everywhere to repent, turn from their sin, and believe, trust in him. This is the glorious transaction. God then charges Christ's perfection to the sinner and no longer views him as an enemy, but instead an adopted son and daughters covered in the perfect righteousness of his son. We can now have peace with God and have eternal life with him forever. It's true for every person in every culture, in every place, in every language through all time. 
So our response to this good news is repentance and faith. Dear hearer, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Turn from your sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this day be reconciled to God. Thanks for tuning in to this. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment. If you have a question, please send them to the Truth Talks Podcast at gmail.com. Visit our Instagram and Twitter at the Truth Talks Podcast. And visit our website at bellcroftbiblechurch.org. Delighting in the word that we might walk in the truth. A ministry of Bellcroft Bible Church.